up, Venue Church. Make some noise wherever you are at. Listen, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Nate Puccini, and I come all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. So excited to be in Airdrie. So excited to be here with you on, on this weekend. If, if I've been here just a few times, and every single time I've been in a different venue, and uh, I'm just so excited that we're in this venue because this is our permanent location that God has given us in Airdrie. So excited. I just want to honor Pastor Corey and Aaron. So honorable, faithful years of serving to see a city reached for Jesus. That's truly the heart of our leaders. It's, the, it's their character, their integrity, their faithfulness, their, their, their resistance against temptations to give in, to give up, plantedness, to, to serve the kingdom. I'm just honored to call them friends and, and truly mentors of mine. Amen? Would you pray with me right now? Lord, I thank you that we can gather together on this weekend. We can gather together today. And when your people come together, God, you're with us and you're at work. And I just pray right now that, that, that what happens in these services today, what happens on this, this day would be marked by you. Not by us, but by you. And Holy Spirit, would you have your way? In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And many years back, I heard this story. It was kind of the, the success story of, of Walt Disney. If anybody out there has ever heard of Disney World or Disneyland, kind of a big deal in the United States. We're very proud of that. Uh, but back, way back in 1928, Walt Disney went through kind of a crazy experience uh, that I think kind of sets up today's Bible text. I wanted to share this with you. At the time, uh, Disney Animation Studios was really beginning to take off for the first time. And uh, and the number one character uh, at that time was a cartoon character named Oswald the Rabbit. You should see it here on the screen, just this cute little rabbit. It's called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. And he was getting endless requests for more Oswald. But, but he had barely had enough animators to keep up with all of the, the demand of the studio. He just literally financially couldn't keep up. And so finally, he traveled to New York City all the way across the country from L.A. to New York City to meet up with the distribution, his distribution company. And, and the hope of meeting with the company was that maybe he would get a little more money to help with just a little more demand. But get this, this is crazy. The distributor, a guy named, by, named Carl Mintz, or actually Charles Mintz, was secretly plotting a hostile takeover of Disney. Uh, and, and when Disney got all the way to New York, Mintz surprised him by saying, not only are we not going to pay you any more money, we're actually going to pay you less than we've been paying you for your services. And by the way, we just hired all of your animators out from under you. And because we actually own the copyright to Oswald, we're going to produce it without you. Oswald cartoons began to take place without Disney even being a part of it. And there's nothing that you can do, Walt Disney, to stop what we are doing. Could you imagine in that moment the shock of having your dream taken from you? The shock of, uh, of everything that you've given up for in your life and sacrificed for. He literally did not see it coming. He felt so betrayed in this moment by people he trusted. He felt like his baby had literally been stolen from him. It, it, and it couldn't have come at a worse time. At this time, Walt Disney was literally living paycheck to paycheck to even make ends meet. And now he was going to have to leave New York City and go on a long train ride all the way back to Los Angeles. And it was one of the darkest moments 
of his entire life, he had to start all over. But as he looked out that train window on his ride back, he eventually started sketching again. He began to start doodling again in that moment. And as hours passed on this ride, he, sim he came up with a really simple little idea of a cute little mouse, a cartoon character we now know as Mickey Mouse. I just love that story. I, I, we kind of know what happens with, with Walt Disney's life and how it plays out. Many times we miss the dark seasons of life. And in the midst of the darkest moment, many times is when we stumble upon the greatest idea for our lives. And I, I just think that the, 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 why I love this story is because honestly, we all go through low moments in our life. And, and for many of us, I'm sharing this today because if the last two years, uh, if you have a pulse, it's probably brought dark moment, low moments into your life. It's probably delayed dreams and delayed desires. It, it may have feel like for you today attending here that, that you've had dreams in your life stolen from you and there's really no hope for your future, your family, maybe it's your physical body. But if you're here today and things aren't going your way, I, I just want to encourage you this Sunday. Let's all just take a moment today and allow God to lavish his grace upon our lives. Listen, church, I want you to hear this. God loves you and God loves you. I promise you way more than you think right now. But I'm also sharing this because for many of us, what we need most is, is maybe more than just another moment of surrender in a church service. Maybe today I, I just have this impression for Venue Church and all that God wants to do through this church that, that, that what we truly need in our life to, to, to be healed and whole is, is we just need friends to surrender with. We need people in our life to journey with. And, and listen, some of you, some of us, they, you just need a righteous person in your life to to journey with, to, to, to go through hard things with, to, to believe for miracles with, to believe for healing yeah. with you and to experience new levels of freedom. Yeah. Now I ask you, did you catch this? Let, let me say it this way. What we need is something more than just a moment of surrender. We need friends to surrender with. And I just believe today that there, there's a couple different groups of people listening to me. There's, there's those who need to experience victory in an area of life where you've never experienced victory before. And, and then I also know that there's people here today listening to this message that God is calling you and challenging you and is changing the way that you even think and how you focus so much on yourself and positioning you to be a leader to invest in someone else's victory. I say this because when you study scripture, many of the greatest miracles occur when two or more people are united together in faith. And this certainly can be said about the passage that we're going to discuss today in 1 Samuel 14. So let's go there. If you don't know this story in 1 Samuel, it covers the tragic story of a failed leader named King Saul. And at the time, Saul was the ruler of God's people but he actually was kind of a complete and total spiritual wimp. Every time this, this King Paul had a, a chance to be a great leader, he would allow the fears of his life to take over, the torment of fear to take over him. And, and the crazy ironic thing is his son, Jonathan, was this dynamic, godly 
leader who would actually hear from God all the time. Jonathan was a faith-filled man of God who trusted God and knew God had greater plans than defeat for the people of Israel. In some ways, uh, Jonathan was the exact opposite of his father. We see in the context of, of 1 Samuel 14, the Israelites were being oppressed by the foreign nation called the Philistines. Such oppression that they controlled the whole financial uh, 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 finances of the whole area. In fact, the Philistines couldn't, or the, the Philistines had so much control that the Israelites could not even have enough weapons because they would have to pay silver and gold to even have their weapons sharpened. And so kind of a crazy story. Uh, they were so technologically advanced, the army, the Philistine army was 18 times larger than the few men that Saul had left at this time to fight. They had tens of thousands of soldiers that were actually at this time marching to, to wipe out the Israelites. So check this out. I mentioned the, about the weapons. At this time, the Israelite army, scripture says, only had two swords in the whole entire camp. And, and, and Jonathan and King Saul were the, the only two people that had swords. And they have tens of thousands of people marching against them. How many know that's not a good equation? Just basic math. That's, that's not good. But when we lean in here, the big question in this moment, what is King Saul going to do? So check this out. The, the short answer is King Saul is not going to do anything at all. He, he turned into a total wimp when his nation needed him. I, I mean, at the very moment when he should have been mobilizing the Israelites, he wasn't doing anything. In fact, scripture teaches us he was actually camping out under a pomegranate tree with 600 soldiers basically waiting to be killed. Well, it's in this moment that Jonathan, who had, who had just had a strong, he was a strong man of faith, was like, this is completely ridiculous. I have to do something about this. You see, he had a holy desperation to see his nation saved. And God promised uh, Jonathan that he would defend him, Deuteronomy, the Deuteronomy 28, 7 teaches us. So get this, Jonathan went with his armor bearer, which is basically like his personal bodyguard, and he said this. We see this in scripture in 1 Samuel 14, 4. Let's sneak away from everyone in the camp, and we we're going to go sides up our enemy. We're going to see really how tough are they. And so we go here in scripture, let me read this to you. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One called Bozes and the other called Sanaa. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash and the other to the south towards Gabah. We see that in scripture. So we see that the Philistines are camped on the top of two cliffs. And so Jonathan does something kind of crazy right here. He, he says, Jonathan says to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Kind of a strong statement. He's insulting them in this moment. Basically, hey bro, let's actually, you and I, let's go on a suicide mission right now and see what's going to happen. We say, keep in mind, circumcision back then was a sign that you were in covenant with the Lord. So I just want to take a moment. Venue Church, I want to clarify, Jonathan was not ripping on people's reproductive organs. Uh, so some of you are thinking, I thought Jonathan was this wholesome, pure guy. He seriously is a man of God. So, so check this out. Jonathan's faith in this moment is so powerful. He was so desperate for a victory of God. And he knew if just one person would agree with him, that God would do something in that moment. You see in verse 6 here, Jonathan says, perhaps... The Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many 
or by few. Basically, what Jonathan knew in this moment in faith was when God is on our side, then victory has nothing to do with numbers or resources. So check this out. I just love this. Jonathan and uh, Jonathan's armor bearer's response here is so powerful. He says this, do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you heart and soul. In Hebrew, it literally translates to this. I am with you like your heart is within you. And it literally, it, it's so committed. It's as if I become one with you in this moment. I'm so committed to see this victory with you. So listen what happens. Jonathan and Zarber, they climb up to the cliff and immediately start taking out the whole outpost. And within just a minute, just a few minutes, the Bible teaches us they had killed over 21 Philistine soldiers over a half acre of ground. Listen, we are talking Steven Seagal, Jean-Claude Van Damme, back to back on a half acre of ground, or maybe for you younger people, it's basically Vin Diesel and The Rock kicking butt, taking names. And when the other Philistines saw, uh, the, the, saw this happening, the Bible teaches us that they were struck in fear. And if that wasn't enough, then suddenly the Bible says God showed up and started shaking the ground. There was literally an earthquake that took place because God showed up in their battle. Literally an earthquake began to shake the ground. So when the Philistines saw this, they all actually began to freak out and started running in the other direction. Scripture actually teaches us there are people that had left Israel that came back to Israel from, Philistine, from the Philistines and said, I'm not being a part of those crazy people. It's such an amazing story, right? It's just one of those crazy stories where God in Scripture does the impossible. But where did that story start? It started with the faith that God can do the impossible, followed with a desperate invitation from a man of faith and an agreement together, it started with the faith of these two men saying, I am agreeing that God can do the impossible. And when we agree together, he, his ear with us. And listen, the reason I, I love this message is, it's, listen, this is basically the framework of what it means to be the church. Do you have friends who will trust God with you? Do you have friends that God will trust God for the impossible to take place in your life? Or say it another way, do you have a friend with such desperate faith in their life and you're willing to, to see that and be a part of their victory? Do you, do you have a friend going through something difficult and you're willing to be faith for them, to believe with them, to believe that they can be healed, they can be made whole, that this is their year. This is their year of victory. This is the year for their marriage. This is their year that their children are going to come back into a relationship with Jesus. And they're just looking for someone to, to deliver faith to them. And they can agree together and walk towards that victory. I ask you today, do you have friends that would say, perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf? Do you have friends that would say this? I am with you, heart and soul. Because listen, church, if you can't give me an emphatic yes to those statements, then I actually believe this, this day that you're missing the very essence of what it means to be the church. You, you might be showing up at a church service and, and listening to a message, but listen, church, I, I'm talking about something more than attending a church service. I'm, I'm talking about something supernatural that God wants to do 
in our life. It's the type of fellowship where people take off the filters and they put away the facades. Listen, we spent the last couple years wearing masks. They remove the philosophical masks of their life and they get vulnerable with other people because their healing is more important than what other people think of them. I truly believe when we agree together in those moments, that's where breakthrough takes place. And to be honest, I, I realize today that, that, that many of you are, you may be newer to Venue Church, and I just welcome you here. I, I, it's the greatest honor that you're attending with us this week. The last couple years, I, I know for many, has thrust you into isolation. The statistics alone, just raw stats, okay, these are facts. These are just what people say, okay? We, we didn't make these up. Just raw stats alone on, on isolation, mental depression, anxiety, fear. It, it's, it's staggering. We've I promise we have never seen anything in our modern day that even compares to what the, what the enemy has tried to do in isolating us. But I, I just, in, in that moment though, just listen to me, listen to me. I, I just want to encourage you. There's some disciplines that we can, easy stuff that we can step in into our life today that I believe will lead you to a breakthrough. And something as simple as just showing up here 15 minutes early on a Sunday, 15 minutes in the lobby, staying 15 minutes afterwards, getting yourself out of the isolation and stepping into a place where it's possible for you to get connected. You see, uh, as an introvert, I, I used to be the best at this. I, I naturally introverted, and before I really got plugged into church, but I felt guilty, like I had to attend church, I would actually sneak in when the first worship song was starting, so no one would talk to me, and then I would leave as they were doing the final announcements, so no one would talk to me. And listen, those are good moments where a lot of information came into my life, but there was no application of what I was receiving in the sermon. And that lack of relationship and connectivity kept me isolated for too many years. And I, listen church, I do not want that for you. Venue Church does not want that for you. We're showing up here today because we're wholly passionate about seeing you plugged in and connected and finding your friends and finding purpose and, and living your life in, in mission and knowing that you are beautifully and wonderfully made, that God created you with a purpose and a destiny, that he has great plans for your life. When the divorce said your life is going to be miserable, God says, I have a plan for you. When your child just abandoned the faith, God says, I still have a plan for them. When you felt like your addiction is overtaking you and no one will value you, God says, I infinitely value you. And that's what we believe. And we believe that if we could do it together, then there can be breakthrough in your life. I just believe a couple of you are a person or two away from a breakthrough. I, I believe that there's people in this church that may become your greatest armor bearer, may become the person with faith for your situation that stands with you. It takes your call late at night and says, hey, I know you're struggling with addiction, but I'm going to pray through the night with you. It shows up when you're going through a hard moment and believe for breakthrough. And also, that's why I, I want to share with you. That's why here at Venue Church, we are so passionate about small groups. Here at Venue Church, small groups are, are actually places that are created to help you find a place that you can belong. To create a, a space for, for invitations into deeper levels of freedom in your life. 
I, that's why after every service, we do NXT just right over here where the open sign is. We, we do that because we want to make it easier for you to get connected to someone that would believe with you, to be a friend with you, to, to see breakthrough with you. Because frankly, here's what I know. God's calling on your life is just, just way too big and too great to leave you in spectator mode. Listen, church, do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying? I think today that the Holy Spirit is speaking in this room. And I, I believe he's speaking to very specific situations. In the last two years, I've been more burdened with, with uh, the, 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 the divisiveness that has come against the home. The attack on the children. The attack on the marriages. The attack on someone's health. The slipping into addiction, maybe... Maybe you're able to put on a good presentation, but you're drinking too much late at night. You're, you're giving in to desires in ways that you know is not good for you, but there's no one there to help you through it. And you're too embarrassed to admit it. Maybe today you're thinking, yeah, Nate, but you got to understand my problems, the kind of problems I have. People are not even going to understand that. Small groups, NXT, those things, those are not the solutions to my problems. And I just want to say, no, you're wrong. Listen, I, I see miracles every single week when someone takes a step of faith towards relationship. Think about this story. There's a mom, and her eight-year-old daughter was diagnosed with stage four cancer, was in treatment uh, for this cancer, and believing that maybe something would change and went to the Mayo Clinic and the Mayo Clinic said, this beautiful little girl, eight-year-old girl, she has months to live. There's really nothing we can do. And we just go into palliative care and we'll just move through it. And on a night uh, at our church, the mom shows up just wanting to believe in faith that God would do something for her daughter. But you see, the mom had, had spent the last couple years in addiction treatment. In fact, had fallen back and have to go back into treatment, fallen away, go back into treatment, fallen away, go back into treatment. On this night, she showed up and she had just hit 90 days clean. She showed up in the service and came to after service to meet with some of our pastors and was just believing in faith that God would do something. And she was experiencing some healing in her life. It was the first time in a long time that she had some breakthrough in her own health. And, uh, it felt like every pastor in our church prayed for Olivia to get healed. So powerful, such a cool moment. Yet in one of my pastor's hearts, they just felt like, has anybody asked if the mom has a relationship with Jesus? And the pastor went up to her and said, hey, I will pray for Olivia and I believe in the healing of God. In fact, I've seen miracles, but do you have a relationship with Jesus? If not, I just want to I just want to invite you into that because I believe that that's where transformation can take place. And she actually said, no, actually, I don't. I just, I, I did a long time ago. I fell away from that. And she led her in an old school, repeat after me, repentance prayer. The mom accepted Jesus that night. So powerful. Next morning, they go in the Mayo Clinic, get a checkup. And they scan Olivia, run the blood test, and there's no cancer. She's completely healed. I just think about moments like that. We're, we're, listen, church, I, maybe you haven't experienced a miracle, but there's something about seeing 
the miraculous take place in people's life that galvanizes my faith that God is alive. He does heal. He does redeem. And he does have purpose for you. He does have purpose for you. It just takes steps of faith, just like Olivia's mom, to come to a place that I want to agree together to see breakthrough. You see, in 1 Samuel 14, 6, it just... This is the type of righteous Christian I want to be, and I want to say in faith with you, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving. And I just know that Venue Church, this church, this church specifically, this church is filled with people who defied the odds by the power of God. This church is filled with people that experience miracles. Listen, the, the, the only question you need to ask today is, what am I doing to actively get around these faith-filled people? Or to say it another way, and this, is a, this may be a harder one, what are you doing to earn the right to be around these other people? Because there, listen, listen, there is a step that you have to take. Sometimes you're going to have to, you're going to have to go to NXT three times to, to make a good connection. You're going to have to visit two, three different small groups to find that tribe that you can journey with. I'm asking you the question, how desperate are you to find your victory? Because here's the truth, once, once you get this, once you, once you figure this out, you're never going to want to go back into spectator Christianity. It, it, it reminds me of this story. I want to share this story with you really quick. It, uh, it's, it's, it's this story of this guy named James Steggles. And back in the Vietnam War, there was this really young soldier named James. And he was 19 years old and he lived through one of the most horrific war experiences. You see, every day... He was on the front lines. He, his buddies were being killed in the war. Every day, he felt like he lived in terror. And of course, uh, uh, during this time, he had carried a little Gideon New Testament Bible in his shirt pocket. But he just literally could not get himself to read it. But things just literally kept getting worse for this man. And his 20th birthday had passed, then his 21st. And he finally got to this point, and he said this. I just can't go on living like this. So in February 1968, he prayed for it all to end. He felt for sure he was going to die that night. And sure enough, his base came under attack. Suddenly, Jim heard a rocket coming straight toward him. It was like in slow motion, three seconds to live, two seconds to live. And suddenly, a friend violently shoved him into a grease pen. And then nothing, nothing erupted, nothing went off. The rocket had ripped in, but nothing exploded. It seemed as if there was a fuse malfunction, and Jim continued to lay in this pit, trembling and shaking. In fact, Jim says he, he stayed in this pit and laid there for five hours, as if, as if at any moment that rocket was going to explode if he moved. With his hands trembling, after five hours, he reaches in and grabs this Gideon Bible. He begins to read the book of Matthew, and he he reads 18 chapters into Matthew and he gets to verse 19 and it says this. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask, my father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together, I am there among them. Suddenly in that moment in reading that scripture, he felt the presence of God come upon him. And he knew for some reason supernaturally that everything was going to be all right. Jim survived that night. He returned home and a friend of him, of his, began to tell him about a night that she was awoken in terror 
When she was awoke in the middle of, night, middle of the night, she knew that Jim was in trouble. She immediately began to pray that God would spare Jim's life. As she was praying, she opened her Bible. She immediately saw the verse, Matthew 18, 19 through 20. Immediately, she called a leader in her church that night who got out of bed, came over to her house, and the two of them together prayed that God would spare Jim's life. In fact, for five hours, they laid on their face before God praying for Jim until they felt assured that God would take care of things. So as Jim was listening to this story being told to him, he said, he, he literally is freaking out in his mind. He's like, do you remember the day that that was? And she goes, uh, yeah, I wrote it in my Bible. She opens up her Bible right next to that section of scripture where the words Jim, February 26, 1968. It was that exact moment that Jim was in the pit. Listen, church, <laughs> pretty powerful, listen. We all need friends like this. Friends who would storm the throne of grace for us. Small group leaders who would wake up in the middle of the night praying and interceding for our children. But let's be honest. These friendships just don't happen overnight. We don't just find them anywhere. We have to take small steps of faith. Like I mentioned earlier, the thing I call the 15-minute rule. 15 minutes before church, 15 minutes after, just a simple hack to help you find relationship. Just be intentional. Hear me today. Be intentional. Today, and if you're sitting here and you're a part of Venue Church, I dare you. In fact, I double dog dare you. I don't know if they say that in Canada. I dare you to be an inviter. I dare you to fight for someone else. To be a friend like Jonathan's armor bearer, saying, I'm with you, heart and soul. Just to be like friends of Jim, storming the throne of grace for him, believing for a breakthrough. To be willing to see others and be a part of seeing them through to their wholeness. To grab your isolated friends and invite them to your small group. Or maybe in the coming weeks, join them in moments of sharing the vision and mission of this church. Getting in gatherings, taking someone to lunch after church, doing desperate things to see people whole, becoming a desperate inviter. I wanted to go back to the beginning. I, I shared that, that fun story about Walt Disney. Kind of cool. We all love Disney World, right? I think you're allowed to love that now. Um, and I, I just remember that story of him losing Oswald the Rabbit. It's interesting. Years later, Mickey Mouse made him so much money that 40 years later, he was able to go back. I think this is the coolest thing ever. This is like so hardcore. He went back and bought that rabbit back. He owned Oswald the Rabbit. So it's kind of a cool story. It's just a cool, like, man, failure is never final. That's what we've learned in like failure is never final. Your delays, they're not permanent. God has a plan for your life. And we have, when we have God, a God like our God, a God who's not a philosophy, He's not an idea. He's not some religion. He is an ever-present Savior who loves us, who wants to be in relationship. When we have a God like that, plus friends to carry with us, the low moments of life, they're not going to seem as bad as they seem for those who are isolated. Listen, I've gone through life in isolation. I've gone through very hard things by myself. And I've gone through it with people that would fight for my family. They would fight for me. I promise you it's better, better over here. I promise you it's better with righteous people. Reminds me of a story about a desperate inviter in my life. You'll see a slide here. It's a picture of my twin brother and I when we were seven years old. 
uh, we were just uh, cute little kids, identical, genetically identical twins. So like literally someone else has the exact DNA as me in this world. It's kind of crazy. And so we, uh, we were growing up and uh, something tragic happened in the city that we lived in. And there was this young kid who was kidnapped uh, from a local shopping center. And the kidnap made all the headline news, made the national news. And uh, it happened at a, a restaurant at the mall. And uh, they had ended up finding the body of this, this eight-year-old kid a month later. I just remember as a kid, it was this big deal, this very, this trauma that marked my memory. And, and, and because of that, uh, my, my parents were extra careful. With, uh, they had five kids at the time, and there's a lot to keep track of with that. And so we were actually, funny enough, we lived three blocks from that mall where the kid was kidnapped. And we were going to the mall on a Saturday as a family, very busy Saturday in the mall. We were around seven at this time. And uh, there was a big trade show happening in the mall. We stayed really close to my parents. And I remember just, uh, just vivid memories of my parents dragging us around the mall, all the other siblings fighting. You know how it is. Dad, can we go here? Dad, can we go there? I want this. I want a Cinnabon. I want this. I want a hot dog. I want pizza. I want to go to the arcade, all those things. Just the busyness of a mall. And, uh, and, and I just remember standing behind my mom and dad at this moment, they were talking to a vendor and all of a sudden my mom turned around in that moment and, uh, my twin brother was missing and, uh, he had gone off or something had happened. And, and, and I, I just remember being like, oh, that happens with kids. But my mom understood the consequences of him missing and she became very aware of what was happening. In fact, she began to panic. Uh, we were identical twins, and so we looked exactly alike, so she didn't need a picture to explain what he looked like. And so I just remember being dragged up to like counters, being like, have you seen a kid that looks like this kid? It's just like him. And, uh, and uh, but he had gone missing, and so all of a sudden, both my parents are running in different directions. And, they began to get more and more panicked in this moment. And they began to get more desperate to invite more people to find their lost son. And they began to, to, to increase the awareness. With, I'm an Italian person, and so my Italian family is very loud. And so they became very loud uh, in the mall. And, and, and my mom, I just remember her so desperate. She, she was just the sweetest old pastor's wife who played the piano in church. Very quiet. Not in this moment. She came alive and she began to invite every single person she met to find her lost son. She invited a, a, a worker at one of the stores to begin to look for us. And I just remember our whole family starts looking as I follow my mom. I'm being dragged around this mall. And the son, my, their son couldn't be found. Minutes pass by. It turns into several minutes. And they begin to look for the son. And they invited this one worker in the mall to help them. And he was kind of leading the charge, and he decided to run across the mall food court. He crosses the food court, and he sees my twin brother, who looks just like me, being kidnapped by two men leaving the mall. It was in his arms, he was leaving the mall, and they were taking him. This mall worker runs up and rips my twin brother out of the arms of these kidnappers and brings him back to my parents, and please show up. It's just a very tragic moment of of loss, fear, salvation, life saved. 
And I, I just think back in that moment, if my mom would have been like, well, I got another one, or if my mom would have been like, well, there's still four other kids, like, no, she became the most passionate, the most constant, the most effective inviter to see her son saved. She was not worried about the circumstances around her. She knew the consequences of not inviting other people to find her lost son. And today, I, I, just feel, I, I just feel it in my soul to share this story. Because I think it has been time and it is now time for Christians to be activated in their faith and think about those who are lost. To live your life as a desperate inviter. To see someone else find their victory. To see someone who's in isolation. To care for them. So many times in church is like, what's the pastor going to do? Listen church, we are the church. We are the church. The church is not an organization. It's not an institution. It's not a non-profit. You're the church. We are the church. And God has called us to reach people. God has called us to live on purpose, to make a difference, to live on mission. And I believe in this year, this year is going to be the greatest year of Venue Church. This year, we are going to see unprecedented salvations. This year, we are going to see marriages redeemed. This year, we're going to see record number of people in addiction come to freedom. This year, we're going to see people who never thought they have purpose find their purpose. This year... People dealing with anxiety and suicidal ideation will find freedom in Christ. This is our year. But the question is this. Will you be an inviter? Will you take a step of faith? Will you allow yourself to be invited? Would you make yourself available for an invitation? Would you inconvenience your schedule just for a couple minutes to say, God, perhaps you have someone in this place that will see me, will recognize me, and invite me into higher levels of purpose. Maybe this day, this day is going to be marked. This day you'll remember. This day you'll write down and look back. It was on that Sunday. It was in that service that I stepped in my purpose. I got free from my addiction. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I discovered something greater than myself. And that's Jesus Christ. Listen, church, I'm calling out desperate inviters in this house today. I'm calling you to take desperate steps of faith into your freedom today. I am calling out Jonathans and armor bearers. I'm calling out small group leaders to become men and women of faith fighting for other people. I am calling out ministry in this house. I'm calling out future pastors, future community leaders, that we will see this city transformed for Jesus. I'm calling you out today. I'm calling you out. So if you would, a moment of response. Would you just bow your heads right with me now? Could we pray? Lord, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you for their life. I thank you that they're not here on accident, that you completely orchestrated this thing. And I thank you, God, that today people are taking steps of faith towards you. Lord, right now, we just believe for salvation in this house. I believe today, God, that there are people that just need to turn back to you, and they're turning back right now in this moment. There's people in this room that are far from you, Lord, and they're just saying, I just, I, I just, I want to activate just a little bit of faith and take a step today. I invite you to take a step of faith into your salvation. 
Lord, I just believe the Holy Spirit right now is speaking to people in this room and they just, they've been stuck in spectator mode or maybe they've just been stuck with the few people that they do ministry with. And today you're calling them out to be a desperate inviter. You're calling them out to, to get bold faith like my mom saying, I will see my son whole. I will see my son saved. And I believe in this moment, God, you're forming something that the enemy can't stop. And that is a church on mission, mobilized to reach people for you. And Lord, as we do this together, I am just thankful in advance for the salvations that are coming. I'm thankful in advance for the healing that will be upon this house. I'm thankful in advance for the miracles that we will experience as we surrender to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Let's give it up for all that God is doing.